When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is season two of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Monroe County, Missouri. Monroe County is located in Northeast Missouri and was formed in January 1831. It currently consists of six cities and towns with Paris as the county seat and according to the 2020 census, almost 8,700 residents call the county home. It is named for James Monroe, the fifth president of the United States. Monroe County was one of several areas along the Missouri River that was settled by migrants from the South, especially Kentucky and Tennessee. Similar crops from those areas, notably hemp and tobacco, were also planted in the county and new residents brought with them the antebellum architecture of their home. The most notable resident from Monroe County is Samuel Clemens, who was born there. He spent his first four years in the two-room house his parents rented before the family moved to Hannibal, Missouri. The cabin where he was born is protected within a modern museum building that includes several of Clemens' first editions and a handwritten manuscript of his 1876 novel, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Samuel Clemens is more commonly known as Mark Twain. It was very common for writers to use pseudonyms to protect their privacy. But in 2018, one less notable local resident also went to great lengths to protect his privacy, but for far more nefarious reasons. In April 2018, 35-year-old Molly Watson was looking forward to her upcoming wedding. She was bubbly and outgoing and always had a smile on her face. Molly was also very talented. She created and sewed a lot of costumes, loved art, and had such a great singing voice that at one point she thought about pursuing it as a career. But after earning a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology, she began a career in education. She had been married in her early 20s for a brief time, but that marriage ended in a divorce. Shortly after her divorce, she found out she was pregnant. It was during this time that Molly ran into her kindergarten nemesis, a woman named Amber. Who has a kindergarten nemesis? <laughs> I totally did. You're kidding. No, didn't you? No. Oh, my God. Mine was ironically named Joy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We fought all the time. First of all, kindergarten was miserable for me. I couldn't stand it. You're five. Now, it started off badly. My mother gave me directions to kindergarten. Like turn right. here and get there. And yeah, but it was simple. It was like walk down the street and go over the bridge and you're in room, whatever, B or A, whatever it was. So I did that and chose the wrong room because I couldn't remember. Sat in the wrong room for half a day. <laughs> then finally mustered the courage to tell the teacher, I think I'm in the other classroom. I was promptly screamed at. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then she shuffled me into the other classroom. It, everything was bad about kindergarten. Anyway, the only thing I enjoyed in kindergarten was painting. And Joy took a paintbrush and painted over my painting. So I was super angry at her. So I waited until she went to the bathroom. 
And we had this stop sign and go sign on the bathroom door. As opposed to a lock. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So it wasn't telling you to go or stop. Right, was... <laughs> right. So I put the go sign, hoping somebody would walk in on Joy and nobody did. So I'm like, okay, this isn't good enough. I opened the door and started <gasps> going, ha ha. Like... <laughs> so you added yourself. <laughs> I did. I was like, you know. I'm no go- master criminal at yeah, five. <laughs> I'm just going to go hard on this. So Joy, of course, starts screaming. And she was a bit of a brat to many of the kids. So they were like, ha ha ha. So what happens is the teacher, Miss Gold, who was probably 22 years old and the most beautiful woman in the world, as far as I was concerned, comes over and she's so angry. She pulls us aside and she starts yelling at me. Why did you do that? Blah, 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 blah. So I said, Joy painted over my painting. And so now she's mad at Joy. So Joy lies to the teacher. I swear to God, this happened and goes, well, Kathy hit me. And so the teacher, now she's frustrated. She doesn't know what to do. And she goes, well, hit her back. So Joy hits me in front of the teacher and Miss Gold didn't appreciate the thug life that I was living at the age of five. So I freaking clock Joy back. (laughs) I have no doubt because I've met your siblings. Yeah, I remember like punching her in the chest. Hey, playground justice is a real thing. Oh my God. And and then of course, Miss Gold freaks out because she realized this was a dumb play on my part. So Joy is crying. Miss Gold is yelling. (laughs) You're laughing and pointing. Yeah, I'm totally like, whatever. I'm smoking a cigarette. (laughs) But no, like I couldn't stand kindergarten. So yes. You had a nemesis. So I totally understand Molly having a nemesis in kindergarten. Anyway, so turns out Molly and Amber did not like each other because Molly thought Amber was weird and Amber thought Molly was obnoxious. But fast forward 20 years and it was all water under the bridge. They had a lot in common and became close friends. And Amber was even with Molly when Molly's son was born. So Molly and Amber started dating shortly after the birth of Molly's son. The northeastern area of Missouri does not have a lot of industry. It's mostly farmland, so most of the jobs are agriculture related. In addition to farming, the major employer in the area was Moberly Correctional Center. This is a medium to minimum security prison for men. A job at this facility paid better and had better benefits than teaching, so Molly applied for and was offered a job as a corrections officer. In this capacity, Molly would do prisoner counts, cell searches, and potentially break up fights among the inmates, which made me laugh because what was she? She was a peanut. She was four foot eleven. But hopefully she's in the minimum security wing and they're just all hoping for parole. Exactly. (laughs) Or time off for good behavior. They're just going to behave. Exactly. Right. After Molly and Amber had been together for about five years, Amber drove by a local motel in their town and happened to see Molly's car in the parking lot. So Amber went up to the door in front of where the car was parked and knocked and Molly answered it. When Amber looked past Molly into the room, she saw a man there getting dressed. Molly admitted that she had met someone at her new job, a corrections lieutenant named James Addy. Molly was smitten and wanted to have a relationship with James, which left Amber heartbroken. Soon after this happened, Molly moved out of the home she shared with Amber and moved back in with her parents. On a 2020 episode, season 44, episode 10, Amber admitted that she and Molly did not stay friends after the breakup. Molly blocked her on everything, phone, social media, email, what have you. Molly's family was actually very surprised to learn who she was now dating, primarily because they learned that James was 16 years older than Molly and had been married and divorced four times. But Molly was in love with James, and it was obvious to everyone that James made her extremely happy. They went on trips together, Cancun, Disney World in Florida, 
and Molly just happened to love Disney characters and movies. So she was very excited to go there. And the pictures taken on these trips showed a very happy couple in love. After dating for seven years in the fall of 2017, James and Molly were engaged to be married. Molly was super excited. They were set to be married on Sunday, April 29, 2018, which was six months away. So Molly immediately started planning her dream wedding. She hired a wedding planner to help her create a Disney-themed wedding and wound up buying two wedding dresses because she loved them both and couldn't choose one. About a week before the wedding, almost everything was set. Molly had her dresses, she finished the centerpieces that she designed herself, and she was able to change her hair and makeup appointment for the day of the wedding. Originally, James's teenage daughter, Emma, was going to come over so they could do their makeup and hair together, but James told Molly that Emma decided to get ready with a friend. James and Molly had also gone down to the county recorder's office to get a license. In the days leading up to the wedding, James received some very bad news. His latest ex-wife, Melanie, who was the mother of his two children, had been in a car accident about five months prior and had been on life support since the end of 2017. James was told that Melanie had passed away and he called Molly to share the news and let her know that he needed to help his children with funeral arrangements. So, Kath, they were supposed to get married on a Sunday, but James found out on the Friday before the wedding that Melanie's funeral was set for Saturday, the day before the wedding. He lets her know on Friday, and then he spent the afternoon doing wedding-related errands, such as dropping off the centerpieces at the venue and making a $4,000 payment toward the remaining balance of the wedding. Because of the timing of the funeral, Molly naturally was worried that James was getting cold feet and wondered if he was upset about how anxious she had been during their wedding planning. He assured her that he's fine, he still loved her, and he wanted to go forward. On that same Friday night, a Monroe County resident named Glenn McSparron drove his daughter to his mother's house and took a shortcut on an unpaved gravel and dirt road. Now, Kath, I saw a picture of where this was in the 2020 episode that we referenced earlier. It was kind of creepy. Mm -hmm. It was basically very narrow. Only one car could fit through unless a second car was way, way, way over to the side. But it was covered on both sides. It was a very, very dense canopy of trees. And there were dirt ruts in the middle of the road that, you know, showed where the tires were whenever somebody drove. It was creepy. It was dark. It was scary. And at one point, you actually had to drive through a low water creek crossing to get to the other side. Now, as you can imagine, based on my description, it is absolutely desolate. And the only lights in the area are from headlights. So after he dropped off his daughter on his way home, as Glenn drove along a bend in the road, he saw a car pulled over to the side. As his headlights swept across the car, he saw a woman's body lying in front of the car. Only her feet and lower legs were visible, but she was not moving at all. So at 10.06 p.m., he called 911 to report what he saw. On the 2020 episode, Kathy, Glenn talks about calling the dispatcher and said he called from inside of his truck and said, here's what I'm seeing. Here's where we are. I don't think she's alive. Please send somebody. And the dispatcher said, um, sir, can you get out of your car and go check on her? <laughs> I would have been like, um, no. I think he wanted to say that. Right. But he didn't. Based on how he looked in the episode, I would say he was probably in his like mid to late 30s at the time. 
But he was like, okay, fine, if I have to. I'm just paraphrasing. (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't have a working flashlight. So that was kind of hearing him out a little bit. So he kept his car running. I'm assuming so he could jump into it if he needed to and flee. Exactly. He left his lights on and grabbed his gun out of the glove compartment, took the phone and got out of the car to go look at the woman. He said that the engine of his car was so loud, it really drowned out any noise. It was so dark. And with all of this creepy green canopy coming over him, he said he felt like at any second somebody would be running out of the woods at him. This is like the worst Stephen King novel. You or know what I mean? a deliverance movie. That, t- <laughs> <laughs> that is terrifying. It is. Yeah. So Glenn goes to the front of the car and he tells the dispatcher that he was looking at the woman. Her eyes are open, but she was very clearly dead. And the dispatcher asked him to check for a pulse, which he did and found none. So she told him responders were on their way and would be there shortly. And I'm sure he went back and locked himself in his car. And that's exactly what he did. (laughs) Yes. Monroe County Sheriff's deputies and Missouri State Highway Patrol officers responded to the scene. The woman on the ground had been shot execution style, one bullet to the back of her head at point blank range. As investigators surveyed the area, they noticed that the deceased woman was only wearing pajama pants and a tank top. Her tank top had been pushed up and her pants had been pulled down. And Kath, she was wearing these moccasin type shoes. And when she was upside down and... I'm sorry, why was she upside down? The, what do you... You what? just said, and she was upside down. No, <laughs> the shoe was no. upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Is this another case of the mare wanted answers? Exactly. Oh, the mare wanted answers. Exactly. Yeah, for those of you who haven't heard the episode about Vicki Cushman... Kathy asked me the question in that episode, who commissioned the investigation? And I said, the mayor wanted answers. And she goes, the mayor wanted answers. And I was like, no, the mayor wanted answers. Why would mayor wanted answers want to commission a report? Exactly. So apparently that she was turned upside down, but it was actually her shoe. Yes. The shoe was upside down. And then Molly's other shoe was right side up. And these were right outside her car door. The shoe that was right side up had a bunch of blood in it, and they saw drag marks leading from the door to the front of her car. So obviously, investigators were like, somebody killed her here and dragged her up front. One of the things investigators were unable to find was her phone. At the crime scene, officers found very well-preserved tire marks near the woman's body. Since the suspect had to drive through a creek and onto a dirt road, it made it easier for investigators to take plaster casts of the tire tracks. They looked in the car and noticed there was a purse in the front passenger seat with a wallet containing money. The police pulled out the vehicle registration and compared it with the driver's license in the wallet and learned the victim was Molly Watson. Missouri Highway Patrol troopers went to the address on her license to make the death notification, waking up her parents in the middle of the night. Molly's brother, Tim, said he would never forget the call he got from his father in the early morning hours, telling him that the highway patrol had just left their house and that Molly was found dead in the middle of a dirt road. Glenn McSparron, the man who found Molly's body, waited for police to arrive and spoke to investigators at the scene about what he saw that prompted him to call 911. Investigators were surprised to learn that Glenn had actually been on that road an hour earlier. He was using the shortcut to take his daughter to his mother's house, but as he rounded a bend, he saw two cars in front of him. One was pulled to the side of the road and facing away from him, as if they were traveling in the same direction he was. 
and the other vehicle was facing towards him and its headlights were shining directly into his car. Glenn told detectives a man was driving the car facing towards him and it looked like this man was trying to angle his car back and forth and Glenn assumed that a third vehicle had gone into the ditch and needed to be pulled out. Glenn said when the man's car came a little closer, he yelled out and asked if somebody was stuck in the ditch. He said the man responded, yeah, there is a car stuck in the ditch, but we can't find the driver of the car. So it might be a little while before we're able to actually pull the car out. Glenn said he looked at his daughter and said, yeah, we're not waiting around for that to happen. So he did a three, four, five point turn and drove out to the main highway and around to get to his mom's house. When he left his mother's house about an hour later, Glenn told authorities that he decided to drive back through the shortcut because something just didn't feel right to him about what he saw and he wanted to check on things. When Glenn returned, the only car there was Molly's, which was the car that it had been pulled to the side of the road. When asked if he could describe the man, Glenn told authorities that he could not. The glare from the headlights really prevented him from getting a good look at him, but he said the man sounded and looked older. He could say for sure that the man was white, and he described the car as a grandma car. It was a dark color, Buick-like four-door sedan. According to court records, troopers also found a marriage license on the passenger seat for a wedding that had been scheduled to take place two days later. The name of her fiancé, James Addy, was on the license, and police located his address from an online wedding registry. So Monroe County Sheriff Joe Colston and state troopers set off to make a second death notification to a man they knew would be devastated. As they were driving away from the crime scene to make the death notification, investigators came across two items they believed could be evidence. First, they saw a white t-shirt with blood on it that looked like it had been thrown from a car to the side of the road. They also found an empty ammunition box for 22 caliber Thunderbolt bullets. You know, Kathy, I read in court records that troopers arrived at James's house about 2.45 a.m. And James answered the door, let them into the house. And as they started talking to him, a woman came in from a side door. So the troopers asked who the woman was, and she introduced herself as Melanie Addy, James's wife. Rut row. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that troopers are Scooby-Doo fans. Exactly. So I think that's exactly what they said. Right. So not only was she James's wife, Kath, they had been married for 23 years and she was the mother of Emma, the daughter whom James said was going to be in the wedding with Molly and a college age son. Incredible. I have no doubt the troopers were like, uh, what the what? Exactly. Um, we're going to tell you about your fiance, but your wife is standing right here. So we're just going to whisper it in your ear. OK, sir. Exactly. <laughs> Nate, can we go somewhere private? And what, what it was seven years, Wait, seven, yeah, years. seven years that he and Molly dated. Correct. OK, so outside the presence of his wife, James admitted to Sheriff Colston and the troopers that, yes, he had been cheating on his wife. And yes, he and Molly were engaged to be married in just a couple days. But James told them that he had an alibi for that night. He said he went to see a co-worker to pick up an avocado plant to put in his garden, and he arrived home at about 8.30 that night. He also admitted that he had been talking to Molly earlier that night using a cell phone that he only used to talk to Molly, and this was a phone that he kept hidden from his wife. So investigators asked for the phone, and he complied and gave them a purple flip phone. K, 
Kath, in the 2020 episode that we referenced earlier, Sheriff Colston was interviewed and he said while they were talking to James, he said James was very uncomfortable and you could tell he was getting hotter and hotter because his face got flushed. He was sweating a little bit. And he said James got up, opened the window and then put a box fan in the window to try and bring cooler air into the room, which, of course, set the nerves off with all of them going. Uh, why is he acting like he's in the hot seat? Um, Perhaps because his wife of 23 years was waiting to kill him in the other room. He probably didn't want the troopers to leave. because right. He's like, I need witnesses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The call log from James's phone showed that he talked to Molly every day and, in fact, had a 22-minute phone call with her earlier that night. He also texted her several times later that night when police actually knew Molly was already dead. His texts were just kind of normal run-of-the-day stuff. Hey, what'd you have for supper? Oh, I love you so much. And when he didn't hear from her for a couple hours, he texted, Night-night, sweetheart. Talk to you tomorrow. So there were no responses from her at this point? No, there weren't. But would that be your response? You wouldn't no, be like, where the I, hell I, are you? I would be like, where are you? Troopers then asked James what kind of car he drove, and he told them it was a maroon four-door. When they asked if James would consent to a search, he agreed and took them out to his garage. The car cath looked exactly like the one Glenn McSparren described, and troopers also noticed it was covered in dirt and mud all along the bottom half of the car. One of the officers also noticed that the tire tread on James's car looked consistent with tire tracks at the location where Molly's body was found. Impressions of the tire tracks and photographs of the tire tread were collected for analysis by the Missouri State Highway Patrol Laboratory. So police now, of course, believe that James Addy was likely responsible for the death. Within six hours of discovering Molly's body, he was arrested and charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action relating to the death of Molly Watson. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. <laughs> <laughs> After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S. F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. 
Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. According to court records, investigators were able to find Molly's cell phone in the area using a cell site locator, which I'm assuming they just triangulated the cell towers. She had an app from her car insurance company installed on her phone called DriveSense, and detectives used it to reconstruct the events leading up to her murder. So, Kath, this is an app that automatically detects when the car is in motion and logs the person's driving and draws maps of driving patterns and behaviors and is supposedly used to give you a discount on your car insurance if you're a good driver. Um, hello, big brother. How yeah, are you today? No kidding. I think Orwell actually just didn't have a big enough imagination when he wrote 1984 to get to this point. It's so much worse than he even wrote about. Anyway, so the app recorded Molly's last trip being 22 minutes long and corresponded with the distance from her home to the location where she was killed. The phone also showed that the last call Molly made was to her fiancé, James, and lasted the entire 22 minutes of her drive. Detectives also spoke with James and Molly's families. Samuel Addy, James's brother, spoke to 2020 and said that James was a great brother and a role model. James served in the Marine Corps and fought in Desert Storm before leaving the military and creating a new life with Melanie and working at the prison. Molly's family had a different impression. Kath, they were surprised when she told them that after seven years of dating this guy, they were getting married and they weren't real pleased about it. She even told her hairstylist that her family did not like James, even though they'd only met him a few times. What I read was that when James did meet Molly's family, they felt like he was cagey and wasn't answering questions and wasn't meeting their eye. So they didn't particularly care for him. In fact, Molly's brother, Tim, was not going to go to Molly's wedding, but Molly convinced him to go. And so he had planned on attending. And, you know, it wasn't just her immediate family, Kathy. She had other relatives, cousins, aunts, what have you, who had also declined to attend the wedding because they did not like James. And Kathy, Mark Price, who was the county recorder, also talked on the 2020 episode about his interaction with Molly and James just before their wedding. Remember, we had said they went in just a few days before to get their marriage license. On the 2020 episode, they actually show video because it's a county government building. They have security cameras around it. You see Molly drive up and we've described her as bubbly and outgoing. And you see her get out of the car and she has a spring in her step as she's going into the building and she talks to the people at the front desk and she's smiling and they're smiling and laughing, what have you. And she goes back and talks to Mr. Price and you see the same kind of interaction. 
about 15 minutes later, you see James in the parking lot and he clearly does not have a spring in his step, but he goes in and talks to the people at the front desk and he's clearly still glowering. And he goes back to the office where Mr. Price and Molly are and he wants to be anywhere but there. It's a silent security camera, right? You're not Mm -hmm. hearing anything. You can just see the look on his face and he walks in. Molly automatically like starts petting him and like kisses his shoulder and is rubbing his back. You can tell she's trying to kind of appease him and soothe him. And so Molly and James were talking to each other. He just looked like an angry dad. Maybe he was saying, don't make me pull this car over. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about. (laughs) Or maybe he was telling her to walk it off. (laughs) Was that just our family? (laughs) Probably not. But it was amazing because Mr. Price actually said the same thing on this tape, that Molly had this really outgoing personality. And he said James looked like he wanted to be anywhere but the county recorder's office. And in fact, as part of his job, Mr. Price has to find out about prior marriages and things like that. And Mr. Price said every time he asked James a question about a prior marriage, James would bristle and be like, why are you asking me that? Why do you need to know that? Why do I need to tell you that? And all I could think was marriage license. Exactly. The trial was initially scheduled to begin on July 30th of 2018. However, the decision was made to move the case from Monroe County, where the crime occurred, to Cole County, about 90 miles south, due to a lot of pre-trial publicity. The new trial was actually then scheduled to take place in the fall of 2020, but a mistrial was declared because Cole County was unable to assemble a jury due to the pandemic. So it was six months later, almost three years to the day after Molly Watson was killed, when trial began in Cole County before Judge John Beatham. Assistant Attorney General Catherine Dolan presented the prosecution's opening statement. She walked the jury through the timeline of events, talking about how Molly met James and his lies about having an ex-wife. Prosecutor Dolan said James was living two lives, and the planning of the wedding set those two lives on a collision course. The prosecution believed that when James texted Molly that his ex-wife's funeral was scheduled for the day before their wedding, He was hoping Molly would postpone the wedding. When she did not, he was forced to act. Prosecutor Dolan told the jury she was confident the evidence would clearly prove that James Addy made a choice between his two lives, and he did not choose Molly. James Addy's defense attorney, T.J. Kirsch, countered that the state would be asking the jury to fill in the gaps for them. The prosecution did not have the evidence to prove James's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and wanted the jury to make the leap. Yes, James had an affair with somebody he actually loved, and the evidence would show that because James had the affair, within six hours of her body being discovered, law enforcement jumped to the conclusion that James was responsible before they knew all the relevant facts, including how Molly died. The defense attorney pointed out that James cooperated with the investigation. He spoke with the officers, volunteered his purple secret flip phone, and admitted to the affair right away. He also told investigators where he was that night, what car he was driving, and he consented to the search. Also, the defense attorney contended that wedding planning was going well and that James was participating in it. In fact, he pointed out that on Friday before the wedding, just hours before Molly was killed, James paid $4,000 toward the remaining balance on the venue. And because of this, the prosecution's case did not make any sense. So the prosecution called a number of witnesses, which we won't go into, but there were several prosecution witnesses of note, including James Addy's now 20-year-old daughter, Emma, and his now ex-wife, Melanie. 
Daughter Emma first told the jury that she did not wake up when the police came over at 2.45 a.m. and only became aware something was wrong when she got up Saturday morning and her grandparents and mother were sitting at the kitchen table and looked upset. So this was a Saturday morning. Saturday night was her junior prom. Oh, geez. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. Did she go? She did go. Emma testified that she met Molly Watson about a year prior to her death. She and a friend were going to a convention and needed costumes, and her dad told her he knew someone who could make costumes for them. Emma testified that Molly was introduced to her as one of her dad's friends. Emma told the jury she only met Molly the one time and was not aware that there was a wedding in a couple of days. She was not aware that she was on the guest list for the wedding, nor was she aware that Molly thought they would be getting their hair and makeup done together. Emma also testified that her father got home at 10 p.m. the night Molly was killed, not at 8.30 as he claimed. Emma said that she remembered the time because it was a Friday night and she was at home finishing a homework assignment that had to be submitted that night. So she was keeping a very close eye on the clock. She said she heard her dad come in the house. Then he started a load of laundry and then took a shower. And Kath, when the defense attorney cross-examined her on this point, she said that his normal routine when he got home was to put his clothes in the laundry and take a shower. So that wasn't deviating from his normal behavior. The most damaging testimony from Emma was about the bloody t-shirt found near the crime scene. Not only was there gunshot residue found on it, but the blood on the t-shirt was tested and came back as belonging to Molly Watson. Emma testified that she recognized the t-shirt because she made it as part of a contest for her graphic design class. Emma told the jury that everybody in the class did the assignment correctly, except for her. She badly messed up the assignment because she could not get the alignment right. Emma said that she printed three or four shirts that were messed up, so she brought them home. And when she showed her parents, her dad said he would take one to use it in the garage as a rag. (laughs) Burn! Exactly. Clearly, the implication is that the prosecution assumed that her dad wrapped the T-shirt around his hand when he shot Molly. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that's why there was gunshot residue in Molly's blood. Exactly. Then Melanie Addy, James's now ex-wife, testified. She told the jury that their marriage was good sometimes and bad sometimes, but she never suspected he was having an affair. She said they'd always been able to work through their issues. And Kath, a lot of the testimony kind of surrounded the fact that she was with this man for more than two decades, but he was living a separate life for seven years. Melanie testified that at one point, James told her he had to go to Florida for sniper training as part of his job as a corrections officer. So he showed her this letter from his employer saying, hey, get your butt to Florida for sniper training. And so she was like, "Okay." Melanie testified that after James was arrested, she discovered the letter was forged and he was really on a trip to Disney World with Molly. Okay, that was a lot of work to go to for something she probably wouldn't have questioned in the first place. Probably not. I agree. At some point, she sat down and gave an interview to 2020. The interviewer was Deborah Roberts and Melanie was super emotional and basically began at the beginning as far as like the relationship and said, I was working in a convenience store. James was a customer. He asked me to marry him within six months. We didn't have a lot of money. We got pregnant really quickly. Then we had a second child, you know, that kind of stuff going through background. Anyway, in this interview, when she was dissecting her marriage, she was saying things like James was supposed to get off work at three, but he would get home at five. And if I asked him where he was, he would basically say none of your business. 
Even though there were some cagey things that happened during her marriage, she said she still never expected an affair. And when she found out after those troopers came to her door that night, she was in total disbelief. She said she was completely shocked. However, when she was asked in this interview, did she think her husband was capable of murder? Her response was, quote, it seemed like something he would do to fix a problem. He was a very <laughs> selfish person. He could be controlling and intimidating. I could see this being a way out for him. End quote. Talk about marrying the wrong guy. Anyway, once the jig was up as far as the second life of James, Melanie started searching her house, just trying to see if he hid anything from her. And in the loft area of the garage, where she never really went, she found photo albums of Jim and Molly together, and they were trips they had taken. One was to Cancun, one was to Florida, and they were smiling and happy and all that kind of stuff. And she said she basically beat herself up. Like, how was this that she didn't see that this was happening? Melanie testified that on the night of the murder, at 7 p.m., James told her that he was going to hang out at a friend's house. She was irritated because she wanted him to stay home. She went to sleep before James got home, but she was awakened at 2 a.m. by his snoring. So she did what she always did. She slept on the couch in the living room. At 2.45, flashing police lights reflecting off their living room window woke her up. This is when she learned that her husband was leading a double life. Kath, what was funny is that the prosecutor ended Melanie's testimony by asking her, Melanie, were you involved in a horrible car crash in 2017 around Christmas or New Year's? And Melanie <laughs> testified that she was not. And then she had Melanie confirm that she never died as a result of a car crash. <laughs> yeah, so she was being tongue in cheek and the jurors understood the humor. But I thought that was a very clever way to end the testimony. I agree. Another prosecution witness of note was James Lunsford. Now, remember James Addy's alibi was that he went to a co-worker's house to pick up an avocado plant. Well, Lunsford turned out to be the co-worker James was talking about, but Lunsford testified that he and James did not have a relationship outside of work. He told the jury that he and James had talked one time about an avocado plant, but they never talked about James coming over to pick one up. And Lunsford wasn't even home that night because he was out with his friends. So helpful hint, <laughs> if you're going to have someone be your alibi, Talk to them first right. <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> On cross-examination, it was so weird, Kathy. The defense attorney countered that if Lunsford wasn't at home that night, how could he say that James was not at his house? Right. He wasn't there to see it. He wasn't there to not see it. He was like, prove James didn't go to your house and pick up an avocado tree. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not sure how the jury reacted, but I thought it was stupid. <laughs> Corporal Patrick Sublette of the Missouri State Highway Patrol Digital Forensics Investigative Unit had a lot of information connecting the dots with respect to James. Remember, James told Molly that Melanie's funeral was scheduled for the day before their wedding. Well, Corporal Sublette testified that forensic searches of Molly's phone indicated that the day before she was murdered, she was looking online for funeral or obituary notices for Melanie Addy. And prosecutors, Kath, believe that Molly figured out that James was lying about something and was about to confront him. Corporal Sublette also testified that on the night of Molly's murder, James sent a text message to her saying, I want to meet with you. Which would explain then why she was wearing pajama pants in the car. Exactly. 
And he also sent messages to himself. From himself. Exactly. Which neither of us believed you could actually do. Kathy has an Android. I have an iPhone. And we tried it. And in fact, you can send text Turns messages you to can. yourself. You can affirm yourself. You are a good person. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> anyway, starting a couple hours before Molly was killed, his text messages to himself said, have a meeting tonight at eight, normal place. About a half hour later, it said, you have to be there. About 10 minutes after that, it said, don't be such a pussy again. And a short time after that, it said, let's go, man. I mean, this guy was obviously trying to psych himself up to do something. Yes. So when the prosecution rested its case, defense attorney Kirsch told the judge that James would not be testifying on his own behalf and that they had no witnesses to call. And Kath, one thing he did that I thought was smart in closing argument was that he said that he didn't bring witnesses to the stand because the burden of proof was on the prosecution. If he brought witnesses, it would imply that somehow the burden of proof was on him. Actually, I thought it was a pretty good argument. What he said was true, but probably the reason he didn't bring witnesses is because he didn't have any. Closing arguments were held on what would have been James and Molly's three-year wedding anniversary. The jury deliberated for two and a half hours before returning with its verdict. Guilty. Tim Watson, Molly's brother, said he was so happy to hear the verdict. He believed his sister and his parents got justice, but sadly, neither of his parents lived to see it. His dad had died of a heart attack in September of 2020. This was about seven months before the trial began, and his mom died just four months after that. In July 2021, just three months after the verdict, James Addy was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and given 10 additional years for the enhancement of using a gun during the crime. These two sentences were to be served consecutively. After sentencing, the judge asked James if he had anything he wanted to say, and James said he did. He did not express any regrets or remorse. Instead, he read a long letter he wrote to Molly in which he said she was the love of his life and he would do anything to make her happy. Then he told the judge he wanted a new trial because his defense counsel was ineffective. So the judge said, how was he ineffective? And James said throughout the entire trial, his defense attorney failed to represent anything James brought forward. So the judge asked for examples and James replied that he wanted cell phone records and Facebook posts that were in discovery that showed somebody else could have killed Molly. James said Molly had an ex who stalked her and had a motive to harm her with the impending wedding. The judge, however, denied his request. Molly's brother, Tim, said that a few days before he sat down to do an interview for 2020, he was at work as a mechanic with the bay doors open. A balloon flew through the doors and came right up to him. On the balloon was written, We miss you. We love you. We will remember you forever. He said he believed that this was his mom, dad, and Molly telling him that they are thinking of him and they love him. In November of 2022, James Addy's appeal was denied and the Court of Appeal affirmed the verdict and the sentence. Thanks so much for the new reviews. We really appreciate them. And as Kathy always says, you are welcome to give a five-star review. <laughs> right, exactly. Anybody else, keep on walking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we love them. Thank you. We appreciate them. Totally appreciate it. 
And I promise you, we will have more TikTok content. Maybe. No, because Kathy's not aware that I've been taking videos of her napping at my house when we're supposed to be working on this. You better not have. (laughs) We'll see. Oh, my God. (laughs) And you all will have to let me know what you think of the content. (laughs) And thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.